You're listening to the micro version of the Savage Lovecast, www.savagelovecast.com. If you're stuck in a relationship quandary, or if you're looking for sexual harmony, well, there's nothing you can't ask on the Savage Lovecast. Michael Bloomberg, billionaire, is thinking about running for president. He's thought about it for a long time. And was urged to think harder and actually get in the race a few months ago by Jeff Bezos, billionaire. Bezos actually called Bloomberg personally and encouraged him to run for president. It seems that both of these billionaires, along with billionaire Bill Gates and the rest of the billionaires, are freaking out about Elizabeth Warren's proposed wealth tax, which would work like this. Your first 50 million of accumulated wealth, you get to keep that free and clear. Every additional dollar you pile up over 50 million you pay a 2% tax on each of those dollars. That's the wealth tax. So if you're worth $50 million and $20, your wealth tax bill amounts to a whopping $0.40. Cents. If you're worth more than a billion dollars, your wealth tax skyrockets to the not the least bit confiscatory 3%. The New York Times took a look at what this would mean for Gates, Bezos, and Bloomberg. If her wealth tax had been in effect since 1982, Mr. Gates, who had made his first billion dollars by 1987, would have had $13.9 billion in 2018 instead of $97 billion. Jeff Bezos, the world's richest person, would have had $48.8 billion last year instead of $160 billion. And Michael Bloomberg would have had $12.3 billion instead of $51.8 billion. So with that wealth tax in place, we'd all have health care, student debt forgiveness, clean energy, better schools, and Jeff Bezos would have to find a way to make ends meet with just $50 billion to his name. I'm recording today in Seattle, Washington, home to Amazon and Microsoft, sources of Bezos and Gates' fortunes, respectively. And Michael Bloomberg might want to read up on our local city council elections before he takes political advice from Jeff Bezos. Last year, our city council passed a business tax that would have cost Amazon, source of Jeff Bezos' $160 billion personal fortune, about $10 million bucks a year money the city planned to spend on the housing and homelessness crisis that Amazon has made much, much worse around here. Amazon and the city's stupid racist zoning laws, which in fairness were on the books long before the internet was a thing, much less Amazon. Anyway, Amazon freaked out. The city council quickly voted to rescind this head tax, as it was called, but that wasn't good enough. Amazon and the next city council election, the one we just had, they poured $1.5 million into our city council, our piddling little city council election. They backed a slate of centrist pro-corporate candidates and really, really wanted to take out Kashama Sawant, a rabble-rousing socialist who was first elected to our city council in 2013. Of the 1.5 million Amazon spent on the Seattle city council elections, 500,000 of that went to defeat Sawant. The Washington Post headline Washington Post, owned by Jeff Bezos. The Washington Post headline sums it up. Amazon spent $1.5 million on Seattle City Council races. The socialist it opposed has won. Of the eight candidates Amazon backed in an effort to stack our city council, seven lost. Despite Amazon's best efforts, despite all that money, Seattle still has a socialist on the city council, and the hated head tax is coming back. So just saying, Michael Bloomberg, you might want to think twice before you take Jeff Bezos's political advice, unless the plan is to elect Warren, which is a plan I could get behind. 
All right, coming up on today's show on the micro edition of the Savage Lovecast, as always, tons of your Q's, lots of my A's, and on the Magnum edition of the Savage Lovecast that you can subscribe to at savagelovecast.com, twice as long and no ads. L. Stanger, veteran sex worker and sex workers' rights advocate, joins us to talk Fosta Sesta and about her campaign to decriminalize the sale of sex in Oregon. Got to start somewhere. All that coming up on today's show. This episode of the Savage Lovecast is brought to you by adamandeve.com. Get 50% off one item and free shipping when you enter the offer code SAVAGE at checkout. Support for today's show, support we are very grateful for, comes from Stamps.com. With Stamps.com, you can access all the amazing services of the post office right from your desk in your own home, 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Just click print mail and you are done. It could not be easier. And right now, use Savage for this special offer. Includes up to 55 bucks worth of free postage, a digital scale, and a four-week trial. Do not wait. Go to stamps.com and before you do anything else, click on the microphone at the top of the homepage and type in Savage. That's stamps.com. Enter S-A-V-A-G-E. This episode of Savage Lovecast is brought to you by Talkspace, online therapy that makes it easy to get extra mental health support. For $100 off your first month, go to Talkspace.com and use the offer code SAVAGE. Hey, Dan and people. I'm a 27-year-old lady, and I have a question about making my pee fetish dreams come true. So I recently discovered this fetish by watching unexpected porn, and I've developed this fantasy of somebody just peeing inside of me. Uh, my partner is GGGE, doesn't totally understand, isn't like super turned on by it, but he's down. He's kind of played around by it with like maybe a little pee in the shower or something. But for him, he it's mostly really just hard for him to pee in front of me. He gets pee shy, he says. So I am trying to figure out how we could help him move past the pee shyness and if you have any tips for that sometimes he'll like be trying to pee in the toilet and he'll stop and be like okay and then try and come into the shower but then by then he can't keep going so uh, yeah any tips would be great there are really two questions here how to help a pee shy partner get past the pee shyness so they can pee in front of you and the advisability of your partner peeing in your vagina. There is actually an entire article at BuzzFeed by Casey Guerin addressing this very issue and the consensus of the two experts that she assembles. And it's a really good piece. I recommend people look at it. Sex Q&A, can I pee inside my wife is the headline. The consensus seems to be probably a bad idea. If there's any bacteria in your partner's urine, that could be a problem for you. It could throw the pH balances off in your vagina. But, you know, if it's something that you really desperately want to do and it's not something you're going to do all the freaking time, you could probably get away with it. Of course, I'm just summarizing what I just read. That seems to be, again, the consensus of the experts that Casey Garan assembled for her piece. Sex Q&A, can I pee inside my wife? Everybody should go read that. All right. A pee shyness. Well, you know, somebody who has a hard time peeing in front of you is probably going to have a really hard time peeing in you. But pee shyness can be overcome 
gradually. You're in the room when they pee in the normal way, in the typical way, in the way that they usually pee into the toilet. You're standing right behind them when they do it, but not in their field of vision. You're behind them, not in their field of vision, and you're touching them and they're peeing. And then gradually you can get to a point where they can turn and face you in the shower or wherever else it is that you like to get peed on, and pee on you. Most people, even people who aren't particularly pee shy when they're going to pee on someone, kind of have to go away for a second. They kind of have to close their eyes and concentrate. And really, I think what most people are doing at that moment is pretending they're not about to pee on someone and just thinking they're just going to pee as they normally would if they normally peed in the shower or normally peed straddling the tub, which most people don't normally do. But if you recreate kind of the physical sensations, if you close your eyes, if you imagine that there isn't somebody on their knees in front of you, people who are pee shy can, by closing their eyes and imagining that this isn't actually what they're about to do, get the flow going and manage to uh, pee all over their partner, pee shy or not. Good luck. Hi, Dan. I'm a 30-something queer woman from the Pacific Northwest living with my partner who's a out trans non-binary person. And I just have a question. I've been in LGBTQ circles for a while, but I'm running into something I don't think I've really encountered before. We have a recent new friend who, upon meeting them, was like, my first impression was like, this is pretty clearly a trans man, which, you know, just you sometimes have those like, those thoughts pop in your head, no judgment there at all. And my partner being so comfortable being out, um, I pretty much expected this guy to, you know, at some point come out to us and he's married. And just recently I was in a conversation with his wife and it was really odd because she made some comments that really made it sound like her, their kids who are like preteens don't know that he's trans, which is fine. It's one thing, but like, whatever, you know, your family choices. But the other thing that seemed weird was she just seems really defensive about like anyone assuming that he might be trans to the point where I felt like she was trying to convince me that he wasn't without even like so much as saying, saying that, but it was just a really defensive, pretty one-sided conversation where she was super focused on all of the masculine things about him, all of the, I mean, she even brought up how she's trying to raise her kids in an LGBTQ friendly way um, and show them diversity, like from outside sources, like books and historical books about people who have been, uh, you know, in LGBTQ circles in the past. And the way she mentioned it just kind of made it sound like it's something she has to try to do rather than, hey, you're actually married to a trans dude. So I don't know. I just felt really confused. I couldn't tell. Part of me wonders if this is some sort of like power balance move for her that she, I suspect that she's a little bit manipulative and abusive of him to begin with. So I'm wondering if this is some sort of unhealthy thing. I don't know. I, I'm just wondering if you have any insight on that. I did a little bit of internet sleuthing and found out that, you know, this person definitely is trans. And I just thought it was weird finding that out after this conversation I had with his wife where she was making it very clear that she didn't want anyone to think he was, basically. Anyway, if you have any idea what could be going on there, I just want to know how to move forward with this friendship and, like, potentially be there to support this guy while also navigating his wife's weird comments um, that seem, like, hyper-defensive about... 
Okay, I'm not exactly sure where to start with this one. If this guy doesn't want to identify as a trans man, but just wants to be identified or, or, or thought of as a man and not trans first or not trans by anyone other than close, intimate friends, that he decides for his own reasons and at his own speed and at the time that's right for him to come out to, that's his right. And you shouldn't be prying into his past to try to bust him for not being as out about being trans as your partner is. Maybe being as out about being trans as your partner is isn't right for him. Maybe it's not right for him right now. Maybe it's not right for him ever. And it is weird, the conversation that you describe having with his wife. But if he is, you know, to some extent, obviously trans, but doesn't wish for anyone to know that he's trans, maybe his wife is not abusing him, but rather awkwardly trying to run interference for him on his behalf. But you just met these people. You don't really know them. And you're not entitled to run their lives for them. And they don't have to be out about being trans in the same way that your partner is or on the same timetable. Or It's really their private business. And as awkward as it makes you feel, you're going to have to Respect that. And if it feels like being around them means having to participate in a lie or being dragged back into a closet yourself, you don't have to be friends with them. You don't have to hang out with them if hanging out with them makes you uncomfortable. And, and I assume you know this. You're a queer person. You have a trans partner. You don't get to dictate to them how and when they come out, if indeed they ever come out about this. So take it easy, pull back from this relationship if it makes you feel awkward or uncomfortable, and stop prying. You know, I don't want to come down on you too hard because I have certainly been in situations where I was interacting with somebody that I knew to be gay, who was lying to my face about the fact that they were straight, being sort of over the top straight, talking about how much they love to eat pussy, talking about all the girls they fucked, talking about their girlfriend. Alberta, who lives in Vancouver, right? I have been in that situation. And it made me very uncomfortable to have to sort of smile and nod and play along and help that person really construct their closet or watch as they constructed their closet and and sort of feeling bank shot shamed myself because I'm standing there and I'm gay and this person is obviously so uncomfortable with the thought of being gay that they can't handle it and that they are you know, overcompensating in an enormous way way in this kind of performative way that made me feel not bad about being gay myself, but just like weird as a gay person to have to interact with somebody who was struggling with so much shame. So, so I feel you, I get it. I get what that feeling is like. On the other hand, there are some trans people who legitimately don't identify as trans first, who want to be perceived as men and as women without a qualifier, without a, a prefix. And that's a little different than the gay thing. The gender thing is a little different than the gay thing in this context, because for some trans men and women, that desire to be perceived first or only as men or women, that's a legitimate choice. And if that's the choice that this couple has made or that he has made, you're going to have to respect it. Here at the Savage Lovecast, we have an imperative that we take seriously, making sure you and your partners 
have the best orgasms you possibly can. And for this reason, we are huge fans of sex toys. So why not head over to adamandeve.com? Right now, they're offering 50% off just about any item, which is incredible, plus free shipping on your entire order. Also incredible. So what do you have to do to get your 50% off one item and free shipping? It's not hard. Just go to adamandeve.com and select any one item. It could be an adventurous new toy or anything you desire. Just enter offer code SAVAGE at checkout and you'll get 50% off almost any item. Go check out adamandeve.com today. Select one item, get 50% off, including free shipping. Again, when you enter offer code SAVAGE. That's S-A-V-A-G-E, SAVAGE at adamandeve.com. Hello, Dan, Nancy, and the tech-savvy at-risk youth. I'm a chronically overthinking 37-year-old cis-straight guy living in Europe. I'm in a recently open marriage, and that's been going very well so far, thanks in no small part to your advice. So first off, thanks for everything that you do. I have two questions that are semi-related. First, what is the protocol for open married guys asking women out in the real world? One of the first questions you get asked as an immigrant is, so why did you move here? And the answer for me is that it's my wife's home country and this is where we wanted to start our family. So I can't have a basic conversation without defining myself as what most people assume is committed and unavailable. I want to be honest about my deal, but the first five minutes of a conversation feels too soon to throw in, and hey, it's an open marriage just in case you want to hook up three hours from now. How do I let women know I'm interested and semi-available in a way that is honest but not too forward? And before you say it, there are no poly meetups here. Assume I'm at a random social event. My second question pertains to maleness itself. I've always felt excluded from traditional masculinity, the discomfort with feelings, the one-upsmanship, the callous jokes, the unquestioned embrace of patriarchal status ideals. I have a hard time making friends with guys because I just don't trust us to be kind and present human beings. And these days, the message that men, especially straight white ones like me, are hollow, selfish, destructive people who just make everyone else miserable for a living is coming through on all channels. I had the idea that men are emotionally and physically dangerous instilled in me from a very young age. And in my eagerness to avoid growing up to be a wife-beating pervert rapist, I developed a fear of my own sexuality that kept me romantically paralyzed for most of my adult life. I've loosened up a bit, but to this day, I am astounded that anyone touches any of us with a 10-foot pole, despite the fact that it clearly happens all the time, even occasionally to me. So I could do with a shift in perspective, and I thought it might be fun to ask you, a guy who sleeps with and loves other guys, what's the attraction? Despite all the shitty things that we are and do, what about men would you save if you could strip us down to nothing and rebuild us from the ground up? Because damn it, Dan, it is very hard to feel sexy when you hate yourself this much. Wow. Let's tackle that first question First, the protocol for open married guys when it comes to asking women out. Well, you can be on dating apps and you can be out about the fact that you are married in an open relationship on dating apps. But if you're in a social situation where you know, you've got the wedding ring on and you encounter someone and you're in Europe and it comes up, why are you here? How is it that you moved here? You, you can you know, just toss it out there that you moved here to be with your wife and then continue to have a, a pleasant and friendly and emotionally open interaction with this person. And if there's some spark of attraction, they may feel conflicted about it because they may assume that you're unavailable. They may actually flirt with you because you feel like a a safe target for the flirting because you're not available because you're married. And the assumption, the default setting is married and therefore monogamous and therefore unavailable. And so you still may get some 
flirtatious attention. And at a certain point, if you feel that connection, if you feel that spark, you can offer up that you're in an open relationship and that you and your wife both date other people. And the person that you offered that to at that moment may run screaming because if they were flirting with you because nothing could come of it to suddenly learn that something literally or two things, two human beings could come of it, that may end it for them. That may make them feel unsafe. They also may feel a, a little misled and it's not your fault. It's their assumption about what marriage means. That marriage means monogamy and the fact that you're married means you're unavailable. That's their assumption. You're not at fault for that faulty, you know, in a significant percentage of cases, assumption being inaccurate. But you may find that once you toss that out there, somebody wants to take you up on it. You may also find that some people are attracted to you specifically because you're married and not available for, I don't want to say more, because if you're open and you're allowed to date other people, you are available arguably for more than just sex, but you're not available for everything. You're partnered, you're married, you have kids with someone else, you have a limited emotional and sexual bandwidth that somebody else can tap into. So yeah, that's what I would advise you to do in a social setting. Just be nice and open. And if somebody flirts with you, return the flirt. And at that point where it feels right, where it feels relevant, where it feels appropriate, you can toss that information about yourself being actually available out there and see how they react, see how they take it. As for, you know, traditional masculinity, as for stripping men down to nothing and rebuilding us from the ground up as a, you know, a gay guy who sleeps with men, what do I like about men? Well, every day I get down on my knees <laughs> and thank God that I'm one of those gay guys who likes gay guys. I'm sort of outside of traditional masculinity. I'm not invested any more than it sounds like you were growing up or you are now in kind of traditional hypermasculine, competitive, performative sort of maleness, assholery. That doesn't appeal to me. I'm one of those gay guys. Thank God, down on my knees, thanking God every day. I'm one of those gay guys who really likes gay dudes. I like that certain kind of unselfconsciousness that many gay dudes have about their feminine sides. And I like that blend and I like that mix. I like guys who are a little bit, you know, masculine. My husband's pretty fucking masculine. But I also like guys, including guys like my husband, who are comfortable enough in their own skins that when there's something that's traditionally classed as feminine, some, you know, intellectual pursuit, some hobby, some passion, even some mannerism or behavioral attribute that they don't think twice about doing that because they're not policing themselves. And it's easier, I think, often for gay guys to give themselves that freedom because you've already given yourself the freedom to put other men's dicks in your mouth. And if you aren't a kind of mask for mask, self-conscious, bro-y type of gay, and that's not to disparage guys who are actually, you know, masculine and that's not a performance for them. That's actually who they are. But if you're not performing it, yeah, you're going to be easier. You're going to be more comfortable in your skin and more attractive to gay dudes like me. Not that all gay dudes out there are invested in me finding them attractive necessarily. All that said, men are dangerous. Men are testosterone soaked dick monsters. Men are the leading cause of death and injury for their Female partners, domestic violence is a problem in gay male same-sex relationships as well. And that's a very unattractive attribute. If I were going to strip men down to the foundation and rebuild men, it would be without that propensity for violence. And 
Some people theorize it has a lot to do with testosterone and aggression. Others theorize that it has more to do with socialization and attitudes about entitlement and anger and emotional stultification and how sort of repressed and bottled up men can become and and how men don't express their feelings, you know, often don't have intimate friendships, often don't have people that they can confide in. And that can contribute to sort of outbursts as opposed to constant controlled <laughs> releases of emotion and aggression and aggression as an emotion. So, but what do I love about men? I don't know. The way they smell, the way they look, the way they taste. Couldn't live without it. If I was going to strip men down to the ground, I would keep all of those things. But you don't have to carry on your shoulders the weight of all male terribleness. You just have to scrutinize yourself, interrogate yourself, as they like to say in the women's studies programs, interrogate your own behavior to make sure that you're not one of the toxic baddies. And if you're not one of the toxic baddies, you don't have to take collective responsibility for all the toxic baddies out there and walk around hating yourself for being men. You don't have to get up on the cross and perform martyrdom any more than you have to jump down off that cross and perform masculinity. You still go to the post office. You really don't have to do that. You know, going to the post office is a real but avoidable hassle and you can avoid it with stamps.com. One of the most popular time-saving tools out there for small businesses. Stamps.com eliminates trips to the post office and saves you money with discounts you can't even get at the post office. Stamps.com brings all the amazing services of the U.S. Post Office right to your computer. Whether you're a small office sending invoices, an online seller shipping out products, or even a warehouse sending thousands of packages a day, Stamps.com can handle it all with ease. Simply use your computer to print official U.S. postage 24-7 for any letter, any package, any class of mail, anywhere you want to send. Once your mail is ready, you just hand it to your mail carrier or drop it in a mailbox. It is that simple. With Stamps.com, you get five cents off every first-class stamp and up to 40% off priority mail. Not to mention, it's a fraction of the cost of those expensive postage meters. Stamps.com is the way to go, saving you time and money. It's no wonder over 700,000 small businesses are already using Stamps.com. And right now, my listeners get a special offer that includes a four-week trial plus free postage and a digital scale without any long-term commitment. Just go to Stamps.com, click on the microphone at the top of the homepage, and type in SAVAGE. That's Stamps.com. Enter SAVAGE. Hi, Dan. Nancy in the Tech Savvy at Risk Youth. I'm a 20-something married by woman living in the Midwest. And I have a question regarding threesomes. So my husband and I have opened up our relationship to threesomes, which is wonderful. We love it. Um, and something that I have kind of been pondering is, so we are, we do not want children. It's just a choice that we've made. We made it early in our relationship. It's just something that we do not want. I take birth control. He pulls out. We do all the things to make sure that that's not something that happens. And we send this into our um, special guest stars. But what I'm wondering is, do we need to disclose, like, we've, we've said to our partners, we don't want kids. But do we need to say more than that with our partners? Do we need to say, hey, so we don't want kids. We would prefer that you don't get pregnant. Just so you're aware, if something does come up, we're not going to be involved in that. That's not something that we'd want. 
I guess I just feel like it's kind of squiggy and kind of like squishy and I just don't really know how to address it beforehand or even honestly, even if we need to address it beforehand. But I guess one of my worst fears is that my husband and I, who are, do not want kids, he ends up conceiving a child with someone who just happens to be fertile. The situation just happens to be right. And it just happens to be that 0.5% that something happens. Um, so I guess I'm just wondering how, if we have to just, if we have to ask about that and if we do, how, what's the best way to make it feel like you have to get an abortion if you sleep with us? Cause I definitely don't want to feel like that or have that come off. I think I speak for everyone when I say, why hasn't your husband gotten a fucking vasectomy already? If you two are certain that you do not want children ever and your big concern having three ways and having sex with other female partners is knocking one up rather than jumping down the throats of the women, your very special guest stars that you're sleeping with about their feelings about choice or telling them in advance of an unplanned pregnancy. If your husband is the cause that you will abandon them and you will want nothing to do with that child, which you know what legally is not your choice to make get a fucking vasectomy. Also use condoms and pull out and because sometimes condoms break, have morning after pills stocked up and ready to go in your own medicine cabinet. So if there is a semen emergency, you can bust the morning after pills out right then and there and offer them to your very special guest star. But you can't tell someone in advance of opposite sex sex that they are obligated to get an abortion if your husband should knock them up because that's their choice to make. And you also can't tell someone that your husband has knocked up that you two will have nothing to do with the child if there is a child because that's the court's decision to make. And your husband would not be forced to parent this child but would be forced to pony up child support for this child over the next 18 plus Years And if this is a nightmare scenario for you to contemplate, if this is the worst case scenario and you two are positive that you do not want children now or ever, why has vasectomy not come up? Why did vasectomy not come up in your question? Why has your husband not already run in and gotten the snip? If he did that, then you and he, fuck your, you know, thirds, fuck your very special guest stars, you and he wouldn't have to use condoms. You guys wouldn't have to pull out. He would be able to blow those giant, enormous spermatozoa-free loads right inside you. All that said, you have a right to inquire about other people's birth control methods. If you guys are having sex, when you have the conversation about STIs, about safety, a very important component of safety when you're talking about heterosexual sex is contraception. And you can say, this is what we do for contraception. We use condoms. We pull out. You can ask your very special guest star, do they have an IUD? Are they on the pill? Do they want to use condoms? Do they want to pull out? And how do they feel about the morning after pill? And how do they feel about an unplanned pregnancy if that actually comes to pass? But they could tell you in that moment that, you know, if there's an unplanned pregnancy, I will get an abortion. That doesn't obligate them to get an abortion, though, if there's an unplanned pregnancy. And they change their minds. Ultimately, it is her choice, not her male partner's choice, and not her male partner's female partner's choice either. Some things are essential, like food, water, shelter. 
and good mental health. Traditional in-person therapy is only affordable and convenient for some. Talkspace believes in therapy for all. That's why Talkspace gives you immediate access to a licensed therapist at any time, wherever you are. And it's why a week of their unlimited messaging therapy costs less than a single traditional therapy session. Talkspace knows therapy isn't one size fits all, and it shouldn't be. That's why they match you with one of their 5,000 plus licensed therapists based on your preferences. So whether anxiety, depression, or other mental baggage weighs you down, Talkspace can help. Their therapists are trained for every need, including depression, anxiety, LGBT-specific issues, and more. And unlike traditional therapy, Talkspace is entirely online from your phone or computer. Here's how it works. First, create an account and speak to a matching agent that will help identify your therapy needs. Next, choose a plan that suits your budget. Both messaging and video-based plans are available depending on the level of support that you want. Finally, Talkspace will pair you with the best-suited therapist based on your needs. You can start right away and message them anytime. Join over 1 million people who are already feeling happier at Talkspace.com. You'll get 24-7 access from your phone or computer to a licensed therapist that fits your needs, and you'll only pay a fraction of the price of traditional therapy. Don't forget to use the promo code SAVAGE for $100 off your first month. Download the app or go to Talkspace.com, promo code SAVAGE. Hey, Dan, I'm a 40-year-old cisgender hetero male. And uh, me and my wife, well, I'm going to be ex-wife, are separating and going through the divorce process. Now, when this first started, she had an affair and we agreed to do counseling and she agreed not to have contact with the man. Uh, She agreed that she would really try to save our marriage, promised me over and over again that she she wanted to try. Uh, Her first session alone, she came back and said the marriage was no longer going to work, but she was still willing to try. And would keep saying stuff like this. I don't think it's going to work, but I'm willing to try. And kept making promises, period, uh, with all this stuff. And uh, basically, I found out, I found a love letter that she'd written him where she had said that he was the only man she'd ever really loved and how she finally wanted to be loyal to him and give him all the time and energy. So, needless to say, I knew that we were no longer going to be together. But she still promised after that not to have any more contact. During this period, she would still sleep in the bed with me and tell me that she loved me and go through the motions of being married. We got into a fight about self-care and I asked her why she cared what I did. And she said, because you're my husband and I love you. I cannot get her to understand how her actions and what she's saying and the other actions and what she's doing are driving me out of my goddamn mind. She's moving out, but unfortunately she can't do it right away because of our mortgage and everything like that. So while this is going on, she's sleeping in another room finally. We're fighting constantly, but at the same time, she keeps telling me how much she loves me, how she doesn't want to hurt me, and how she tried to fix it. But, you know, it is what it is, but I'm her husband. She'll always love me. She'll always be loyal to me. She loves someone else. But in the future, maybe this will happen or this will happen. Is there some way I can convince her that she is driving me insane, sending me all these mixed signals? Because at this point, I don't know what to do. I'm, uh, I suffer from bipolar disorder and I have PTSD. And she is literally triggering multiple episodes where I'm having uh, mani- mania depression, which is rare for me, manic episodes and mania episodes. And I 
don't know how much longer I can handle this without just losing my mind. I don't know what's going on in your wife's head. I don't know if she is maliciously trying to drive you crazy or if she is saying the things that she thinks she's supposed to say in her shoes, that she's, you know, she owes you giving it a a try, you know, trying to save the marriage. Often when people are in marriages that are collapsing because they want out and the other person doesn't, they're told that, you know, they, that they owe their spouse at least the effort, at least going to counseling, at least giving the marriage a chance. And she may be saying those things, not because she feels them, but because she feels obligated to say them because they feel like the right thing to say. And she may incorrectly assume that these are kind and loving things to say, or maybe your wife is a a, a malicious, malignant narcissist who is intentionally trying to make you miserable. But whether she's intentionally trying to make you miserable or not, she's making you miserable and the mixed signals, you know, telling you that she loves you and she may actually love you, but she doesn't love you like she loves him. And that letter sounds like a very damaging thing for you to have read. She may actually feel conflicted herself. She may sometimes feel like he's the only man that she's ever really, truly loved in the way that she loves him. And at other times feel like she also, you know, she married you, loves you too, and doesn't want, even though she is the cause of so much pain in your life doesn't actually want you to suffer. And maybe I'm giving her the benefit of all sorts of grave doubts, but my ultimate point is the mixed messages are making you crazy and they're triggering you. And so you need to do whatever you can do to get the fuck away from your wife now to get out of that house, to put some distance between you so that There isn't this kind of everyday intimacy and these expressions of love and affection that seem so in conflict with her behavior and her actions and that fucking letter to to get under your skin and trigger you and make you crazy. So if you have family that you can go stay with, if you have even a friend's couch that you can go sleep on, if not every night, maybe some nights, just to put some distance between you and your wife, you know, she can't send you these mixed signals if you're not there, if you're not laying in bed with her, if you're not sharing a home with her. And if she sends you the mixed signals via text or via direct message, when you're away, you can block her. You can decide when you feel strong enough to interact with her, to have a conversation with her, to unmute her or unblock her phone number, or to look at her messages, only when you feel strong enough to look at her messages in case there are, again, those mixed signals that are making you feel so, for lack of a better term, and I don't mean to be ableist, crazy. Get the fuck away from her. Do whatever you can do to accelerate the divorce process, the getting into your own apartments and out of this shared home process, even if it's temporary, even if you're couch surfing for a while, you need to get the fuck away from your soon-to-be ex-wife. Hi, Dan. I'm a 40-year-old bisexual woman who lives in the most liberal part of one of the most liberal states in the country. I'm calling because I work in an office of about 30 people, a third of whom are young, recent college grads, transgender, 
self-identified SJWs. I've always prided myself on being a really open-minded and kind person, but one by one, without fail, they've all done and said things that I find outrageous and alienating. A few quick examples. One of them lost their shit on a non-trans coworker because she said that ferrets were her spirit animal. One of them said they refused to deal with any customers who were cops. One of them had a meltdown when she found out that a new coworker identifies as Wiccan, saying that only African-American women can identify as Wiccan, which I don't even understand. Anyway, it's come to the point where I don't make small talk at work anymore for fear of offending someone. I feel like they band together and collectively wait for one of us cis folks to slip so that they can humiliate us in front of everyone, by the way. I tried talking to the business owners, but they're between a rock and a hard place because they have no idea what they can even say, and neither do I. I feel like these kids at work are literally making me transphobic, as in I am becoming afraid of interacting with transgender people. That sounds awful to say out loud, but it's true. Aside from finding another job, what can I possibly do? Point of clarification, uh, that person in your workplace, one of the members of this insufferable clique of recent college graduates, you said refuses to serve or work with cops because of a problem with the recording. It almost sounded like you said refuses to work with cunts. So anybody else out there who was confused, I had to back up and listen to it a couple of times myself. Cops, not cunts. All right. What do you do about this click in your workplace of young, recent college grads who all self-identify as SJWs, which was just a few years ago, uh, a label of self-identification, an irony that people on, you know, the left used uh, amongst themselves and then was weaponized by the right. And then, you know, people online argued that to call someone an SJW was an alt-right insult and you were playing into alt-right hands. So it's interesting that the wheel has turned and now there are social justice warriors at your workplace who identify as SJWs, who embrace the term what do you do about them? Well, in addition to maybe getting your resume together and getting the fuck out of what sounds like an intolerable situation, you remind yourself every morning that this is not a representative sample, not a representative sample of trans people, not a representative sample of recent college graduates, not a representative sample of human beings. That these people that you work with somehow came together, brought out the worst in each other, and are constantly on the hunt for things to be offended about and people to blow up at each other about. If you want to be a real asshole, you could create an anonymous email account for yourself and send them all the recent comments that Barack Obama made about woke culture, about people pointing fingers at each other, looking for things to get offended about and yell at each other about, and how this actually doesn't result in political progress. If anything, it delays, impedes political progress. And while you get your resume together and you look to get the fuck out of that hellhole, yeah, I would continue to do what you're doing now, which is to not engage in small talk at work, to not engage with crazy people. And that's ableist of me. And if I said that in your workplace, if I said that they were crazy, they would blow up at me, is not to engage with these crazy people. Let them terrorize and thought police and crucible the shit out of each other while you stand there smiling and nodding and uh, looking the other way and getting your resume together.
All right, before we get to response calls, let's read some of your tweets. Richard LJ tweets, it's okay to feel healthy and to feel traumatized. He's quoting me there. Thanks, that fake Dan Savage, for saying exactly what I needed to hear on this week's Savage Lovecast. Green Bean Sasserole tweets, I'm quite pleased to hear the fake Dan Savage callers taking advantage of the voice memo feature on their phones to send in calls. It's much easier on the ears. Hashtag Savage Lovecast. We couldn't agree more. Of course, the line are open 206-302-2064. We still welcome your phone calls, but if you can use that voice memo app on your phone and email us your question at voicemail at savagelovecast.com, it is much higher quality and better listening. And finally, normalizing non-monogamy podcast tweets, been binging Magnum Savage Lovecast on our road trip and came up with a new rule. If you call in and refer to your or anyone's fetish more than once without saying what it is, at fake Dan Savage should assume your fetish is having your question played without answering your question. Yeah, it always helps if we know what the kink is that you're asking about when you're asking me to talk about your kink. Love your show, Normalizing Non-Monogamy Podcast, and appreciate that you guys are listening to mine too. All right, if you want me to read one of your tweets about the Lovecast on an upcoming episode, be sure to use the hashtag SavageLovecast, and now your response calls. Hi, this is in response to the woman in episode 680, who couldn't stop thinking about her wild sexual connection of two months, even though she's now happily married. So what you're describing and the pattern that guy is doing is what they call intermittent reinforcement. Basically, it gives you tons of attention. You have tons of great sex. Suddenly, he starts to half lose interest. Suddenly, you're discarded. So it's a pattern that is not only makes for amazing, crazy, intense chemistry and sex because you're getting this intermittent reinforcement, but it's as addicting as a gambling addiction. It actually lights up the same part of the brain as gambling addiction. So it's actually a very addictive thing and why you feel so intense and can't let it go. It basically creates a trauma bond. So it's not real. It's actually kind of bullshit. It's a bad connection, even though the sex feels amazing and intense. It's actually just more because it's like a drug than anything else. So the only way to deal with this is to block that guy forever. Don't anxiously wait for him to possibly contact you in the future because he probably will. They always do. But just block him right now. The same way an addict needs to be away from their drug of choice, you have to block this guy and stay away because the addiction is strong. Believe me. Hey, uh, this is just a comment for the very eligible bachelor on episode 680, who is wondering how to get out there and meet more girls after being so dedicated lately. Just want to say, oh my God, me too. And Dan, you are totally right. There's so many of us out there who don't want the commitment and just want to have fun. I spent the last year out of my first relationship dodging guys our age who do want more commitment. Just want to add, because I'm also not a fan of online dating, find a hobby and start socializing socializing outside of bars and join, you know, join a rock climbing gym or start going to an art class or whatever's your gym. You'll meet other young people who share the same interests and build friendships organically. And when you do meet a girl you click with, just tell her straight up what you are looking for. We can hear it. And most of us will agree. Not interested in marriage and babies. Met a couple last week and I told her I will totally be your unicorn. Just be honest, straightforward, have all the fun. This is a response call for episode 680 and the caller who wondered how she could better 
hold off on talking about sex on her dating or chatting apps. I've had great success with including a line in my bio that just says, I love it if you can restrain your inner perv for the first few conversations or meetings. So she might want to give that a try. And we're going to leave it there. 206-302-2064 is the number here at the Savage Lovecast. Give us a call. You can also send us your call by using the Voice Memo app on your phone and emailing your question to voicemail at savagelovecast.com. If you like my political rants at the top of the show, you're going to want to catch me on Blabbermouth, the Strangers Week in Review podcast hosted by Pulitzer Prize winning journalist Eli Sanders every Wednesday. The holidays are coming up. If you want to get something for the Savage Lovecast fan on your list, you can give the gift of the Magnum Savage Lovecast twice as long, more guests, more questions, and no ads. Just go to savagelovecast.com and click on gift. And Hump, my dirty little porn film festival, is now playing in San Francisco, Portland, Seattle, Vancouver, British Columbia, Olympia, Washington. It's the premiere of the 15th annual Hump Film Festival. Go to humpfilmfest.com for tickets and keep an eye on humpfilmfest.com to find out when the 15th annual Hump will be coming to a city near you next year. Follow me on Twitter at FakeDanSavage. Follow L. Stanger on Twitter at L. Stanger. The Savage Lovecast is produced every week by Nancy Hartunian and me and the tech savvy at-risk youth and Nancy. Well, I'll be back at you next week with an installment of the Savage Lovecast. Thanks for downloading.